Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, worship team. And hello, Crossview Church. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Would you uh, bow your heads with me as I pray? Father in heaven, we sense your presence here among us. We thank you that you're here. And we ask now that you would take your word and place it in our hearts in such a way that it would transform us be more like your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As some of you may know, uh, we're excited that my mom moved here last year from the Chicago suburbs. She's living in Wisconsin Rapids now. And uh, when my son Jared and I went down to move my mom out of the house that I grew up in as a a kid, um, we scoured everything as you do. We packed what we could. And then we kind of did a run-through to make sure we got everything. And as you're doing that, just memories started coming right over as I thought, this is the house I grew up in. And so 53 years, uh, but, you know, obviously I've been, I'm 53, so you have years and years of of memories in this place as I'm walking around. And I saw something that really caught my eye, and I'll explain it to you in a second, but it was this. This is underneath the steps and uh, we're making sure everything's cleared out underneath the steps. And what you may not realize is many intergalactic battles were fought uh, from this place. So this was my spaceship. I had a chair I stuck underneath the steps, and I had a two-by-four that was my yoke. And then I got this great idea that I could take a marker and make some switches. I'm sure my dad loved that. Um, And I had like the latest and greatest high-tech stuff. I had hyperspace. I had uh, weapon systems that were cutting edge. Uh, I had it all. It was there. And and the people who bought the house didn't realize they were getting a 50-year-old space relic uh, along with it. We didn't need iPads or it was just a chair, a stick in the basement, right? So, um, but if you look in the top, there was a real important button. There's a button there that says FF, and that was the force field. And that was the most important button in the whole ship. Because what that meant is, no matter how bad it got, if I pushed that button, there was a shield that came around and the ship became indestructible. Nothing could harm it. I could continue the fiercest battle. That's why this ship won so many battles. It's because that force field was around and protecting from any and all enemy attack. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that, spiritually speaking, held us so close to God that it was like this force field around us and nothing could ever, ever, ever change how God looked at us or viewed us or accepted us. In the verses that Kathy read that we're going to dive into today, that's exactly what we see. We see that there's this spiritual protection, this force field that covers the life and the heart and the soul of a Christian and holds them and keeps them forever and ever. And nothing can change how God the Father views his children because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's a shield that will keep us in God's care forever. It will keep our position before God secure forever and ever. And it's just such an amazing thing that every Christian needs to grab this. 
So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up to Romans chapter 8, if you haven't already. And we're going to dive into verses 31 to 39. I think deep in this heart of every Christian, there's this desire to know that we are held by God. That God holds us. That he keeps us. That he sustains us. That he carries us not only through this life, but he carries us through death itself. Yes, as Christians, we could fear death, but to know that God carries us through death and then into his presence forever is a great encouragement. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, the very first verse, verse 31. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Paul's posing this question, and so when we read this, we have to say, okay, what are the things he's talking about? He says, what are we to say in response to these things? The things he's talking about is everything in the whole book of Romans that he's taught up to this point. He's kind of come into a point of reflection. Pause. Let's look at the whole book. What then shall we say in response to these things? Things like chapters 1 to 2 where we learned about the depravity of the human condition outside of God's grace. Chapters 3 to 5, where we learn that because of Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are brought back into right relationship with God. Things like chapters 6 to 8, where we learn that the Holy Spirit is given to sanctify us and make us more holy and help us to live holy lives. God initiated saving us. He put it into motion. Will he not also be faithful to complete this action and carry us all the way to the point where we see him face to face, it will be done in an absolutely everlasting way. What we're going to see is God's work as a protective shield that holds us now and holds us all the way into eternity. And we're going to see this by looking at four of the greatest questions ever asked. And they're the greatest questions ever asked in my mind because their answers give us so much assurance and hope. So the first one that we see in our text is this. Look at verse 31 again. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Just let that sit a minute. Isn't that great? Isn't that inspiring? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us. Now make no mistake, that question is grounded in reality. God is not saying here that nothing is against us because there are plenty of things that are against us. He's saying something bigger than that. In light of the things that are against us, God is with us. There are things that are against us. Followers of Jesus Christ have things against them all the time. We talked about that the last two weeks. There's suffering and trials that batter us. There's persecutors and haters that assail us. Our sinful nature battles against us. In the supernatural realm, there's Satan and his demons who are attacking us. So Paul's not saying nothing is against us. He's saying something bigger. He's saying, since the God of the universe, the God of all glory, is for us in light of that reality in the present, nothing can lead to our destruction. Nothing can lead to our destruction. 
In other words, opposition in this world is nothing compared to the hand of Almighty God. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, you are sheltered, you are shielded, and you will experience hardship. And yes, you'll experience death. But when you cry out to God, you are spiritually shielded and nothing can destroy what Jesus gave you, the reconciled relationship between you and a holy God. You're covered. It'll hold and last forever. It's important to note that God never promises we won't suffer or face terrible things. Even this morning as we are here, many of God's Faithful people around the world are experiencing death regularly within their group because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Our earthly and spiritual enemies will seek to do us harm, but this promise tells us that ultimately they'll be frustrated. Ultimately, their plans will fail. In their harm, they cannot stop the power, purpose, and work of God ever. There is hope and triumph, even in our death. The book of Revelation speaks of a group of strong followers of Jesus Christ, and it says, They triumphed over him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Their relationship with God was so tight, so secure, so before them that they knew nothing, even death, could stop them. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell with them. There is a power when you know who God is and when you can see death in our lives today in light of that. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are spiritually protected and shielded in such a way that suffering and death cannot destroy the promises of God. For us in the here and now, the absolute worst thing that can happen to us is that we meet our Savior, the lover of our soul, face to face and spend eternal paradise with him forever and ever. All because of Jesus. Look at verse 32. Why is that so? Because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The God of the universe intentionally gave up his most precious possession, his son Jesus. The king of the universe loves us so much that he set He was set on us being with him together for eternity and to seal that in action, he sent his son to pay our debt on a cross so that we could be brought into right relationship with him forever. That is who God is. And if that is who God is, do we really have to worry about what will happen to us when we die? No. God is covering your spirit and your soul now. God will carry you through death And God will be with you on the other side of death forever and ever. We are justified, declared righteous, brought into beautiful relationship, unending with God. 
No one and nothing can keep that from happening. So it brings us to the next question. Who will bring any charge? Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. When God saves us, it's full and complete. The moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are covered in his righteousness. We are justified. Jesus lived the perfect life on earth that you and I can't live. So now when we give our lives to him, we stand with our personal imperfections covered in the perfection of Jesus, and nothing can change that. Forgiven, washed clean, presented before God, reconciled. That is all because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what you put your hope and your trust in. Why should I be allowed into heaven? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. If that is the case, and it's that kind of power, that kind of solidity, that kind of hand that keeps you and holds you, does it ever make sense then to feel unforgiven of a sin you confess? No. God declares you righteous, and one day you and I will be free from sin forever and ever and ever. And in the meantime, when we walk out this sanctification, this, this life, this imperfection of us moving towards what God has promised us in an imperfect way. We are covered by grace. When we sin, we don't lose our saving salvation. When we sin and we do things God doesn't like, he doesn't cut us off of relationship. The Bible tells us fellowship with God is broken when we sin. But we're not cut off. We're not unjustified. And because of Jesus Christ, when fellowship is broken because of our sin, we confess our sin and fellowship is restored. That's why it's important to live lives of repentance and confession. The Bible tells us in 1 John that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no sin, no guilt, no stain, no condemning thought, no shortcoming or failure that has more power than the blood of Jesus Christ. In this text, it says, who will bring any charge against us? That word charge means accusation. Satan is the great accuser of Christians. He accuses us and he brings his accusations before the throne of God. And he lets those accusations run wild in our minds. He says things like, how can you call yourself a Christian when you did that? How can you call, you think you're just, you think you're going to heaven? Look at what you did, look at what you think. And what this word of God tells us is that when that accusation is brought into the throne room of God Almighty, it will never, ever, ever stand against us. It's dismissed because of Jesus Christ. Because the penalty for our sin has been paid in full by Jesus and his work on the cross. We are and forever will be considered righteous before the throne of God in heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God has given us a pardon 
of our sin and our shortcoming that will last forever because of what his son Jesus Christ did. But it's a pardon that needs to be received in order to be activated. In 1929, there's a man named George Wilson who robbed and murdered a mail carrier. He was sentenced to death, but he received a presidential pardon by Andrew Jackson. To the shock of everyone, George Wilson rejected the pardon. He said, no, I don't want the pardon. I should stay in jail the rest of my life. The case went to the United States Supreme Court. The issue before the court was this. Can you reject a pardon given by the President of the United States? The court rendered this decision that a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. Unless the recipient accepts the pardon, it will not be applied. A pardon has two sides, an offer and a receiver. Unless the receiver accepts the offer, the pardon cannot be applied. On the cross, the loving, just, heavenly Father, the eternal God whose wrath was satisfied, his punishment towards sin was satisfied by the death of his son, he now gives an offer to every human being a pardon to be covered in the blood of Christ so that when you die and face him, you now stand in the righteousness of Jesus and not your own earthly record. But for the pardon to be applied, it must be accepted. Each individual has to accept this pardon. You have to give your life to Jesus Christ. You have to surrender your life to him. And then you're spiritually protected. So how do I give my life to him? Turn, trust, follow. Turn, trust, follow. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, turn. That's a a simplified way of saying repent. It's a beautiful thing. You turn from your sin and your self-centered direction, and you say, God, I want to turn to you. I want to start taking my cues from you. You trust. You believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and you give him your whole life based off of that, and you follow. You make him the leader of your life. Nothing internal, internally within you, nothing externally outside. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords of your life, and you follow and you take your direction from him in him alone. Turn, trust, follow makes the application of the pardon. The next question is, who can condemn us? Condemn means to sentence to death or to give out eternal and complete disapproval. Jesus said that his father did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And when God saves, he saves fully. Nothing can change that. To show how true this is, Paul now digs down deeper here to give us a picture of how solid this is. Look at verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? No one. And then he dives into theology. Christ Jesus who died. He took your place. He is your substitute. We were supposed to face penalty and punishment for our sins, but Jesus Christ died, not us. He was on the cross. He took our place. A substitution happened. God poured out the wrath that was supposed to go to you and me onto his perfect son. 
while he stood in our place. So if that's the case, who can condemn? Because we weren't on the cross, Jesus was. If you're going to try to condemn me, you have to condemn the perfect loving son of God, which will never ever stand. He goes on, more than that, who was raised to life. Not only did he take our place and go to the cross, but death could not stop him. Death did not have the power to hold back the promise and plan of God. And now as Christians, we are brought into this new identity where we are raised to life with Christ. No one can condemn us. We are held in the substitution of what he did on the cross, and now we are held in the power of the resurrection. He goes on. It doesn't stop there is at the right hand of God, meaning now Jesus has all authority and rule over all the universe, everything and anything. He has a power and a rule that has been fully established. When he comes again, it will be fully lived out. But make no mistake that he is reigning and ruling over everything now. In the meantime, before he returns, he still is ruler, sustainer, Nothing escapes his hand or his notice. Nothing and no one has the right to condemn because the king has spoken. The ruler of the universe has acted. The ruler of the universe has declared that you are justified before a holy God. Paul goes on. How could it get any better? Substitute, died, resurrected, rules forever at the right hand of God. He's also interceding for you and I. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is praying for you and praying for me. The perfect prayer. We saw earlier in the book of the chapter 8 here that The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Now we see that Jesus Christ intercedes for us. He prays for us. The Son of God and God the Spirit are praying for you and I before God the Father. Forever and ever, this is actively going on. It's amazing to think that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying the perfect prayer for you and I. Have you ever been in that place where you're going to pray and it's really difficult? It's difficult because you are inserting yourself into a spiritual battle. But it's also difficult because we get there and it seems like we don't always know what to pray or we pray the same thing or the same way. And it just is like this. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right now and always, are praying the perfect prayer for you. The perfect prayer. There's times where I sit quietly and I sit in silence and I reflect and I think about God and I receive the fact that I'm in his presence and I always don't know what to pray or what to say. I just want to be there in that moment and I say, God, right now, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are praying the perfect prayer for me. So what they said. We're just going to go with what they said. Whatever they're praying for me right now, 
I want to just stand in that prayer, in that agreement, and we're going to just go with what they said. I got all this stuff going on in my life, all these cares in my heart and my mind. I'm, we're just going with what they said. And he carries us before God the Father. Not only in our brokenness and our sinful state through the substitution of the cross, the resurrection, the rule of his authority, but even in the heart of the shepherd to carry us through his prayers before God the Father. Who can condemn you? Nothing can break into that that's evil. And then that leads us to the final question, which is probably among the most beautiful and powerful verses in the entire letter. This is the last question because all the other questions are really just versions of this one. Who shall separate us from the love of God? The only thing we have to fear is being separated from Jesus Christ. The only thing that would really bring us spiritual harm would be if we were separated from Jesus. But we will see that will never, ever, ever, ever happen. God is faithful. Look at verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, he quotes Psalm 44, 22 here, in an interesting psalm that's often applied to Jesus. As it was written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. As God's people, we walk through the sufferings of Christ, but he holds us. How does he hold us? Does he hold us weak? Does he hold us strong? Look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, shielded, sheltered, protected eternally forever. The central question of the Christian life the one that causes us to doubt and worry and bring tension is, is there anyone or anything that can cut me off from Jesus? And we ask because along with Paul's original hearers of this letter, we see there's a lot of potential things out in our lives that could do that. Our sin, our guilt, our shortcomings, trials and suffering, persecution, dangers, natural disasters, we see these things and we feel like, boy, these could cut me off from God. We feel like we could be separated. We have to be fair, careful because feelings can deceive. The Christian life is not just based in feeling alone. The Christian life is not just based in thinking alone. The Christian life is based in feeling it's based in thinking because you don't want to be a Christian that just thinks all the time and never feels because you have no passion. But you don't want to be a Christian that feels all the time and never thinks because our feelings can be so fickle and deceiving. The Christian life is a feeling, thinking that leads to a knowing. 
And that's what Paul's getting at. And he says, when you feel that place where it says here in Psalm 44, where you face death daily, meaning you face the effects of the fall daily. We're bombarded by the effects of the fall. There are many obstacles in this life, and surely it feels any one of us, any one of them could detach us and pluck us out of God's hand. Paul says no. Not only does he say no, because he really doesn't just say no. He says something more impactful and emphatic. He says, of all those things that you think can pull you away from Christ and his love, you're more than a conqueror against those things. Not because of who you are and what you did, but because of who Jesus is, and you're in Jesus. So the state of where you are at in life is you are more than a conqueror because the power of Jesus Christ now emanates from you. Not because of what you did, but because of who he is. The promise of Jesus' love and presence in the life of the Christian will triumph over anything this life can bring because God does not lose any that he calls and saves. God is in loving, sovereign control of every aspect of human history. And Paul here is convinced that nothing, verse 38, will separate us. Nothing in human experience, death or life. Nothing in the spiritual realm, angels or demons. Nothing in time, present or future. Nor anything that opposes God's power, the powers. Nothing from within or outside of us, height or depth. Even decisions that people make that impact your lives all pass through the hand of God. Even circumstances that come into your life that you don't like all pass through the hands of God. And he works all those things, the difficult, the painful, and the joyous, together for his own good. You may not agree with what's coming down the path towards you, but don't forget God is your master. And he works all that for the purpose. Nothing in all creation can separate you from God. Do you get that? Anything and everything you experience in this life, none of it can shed one ounce of his love away from you. Because his love is not based in anything we do. His love is not based in anything around us. It's based in him. He loves us because of who he is, and that will never, ever, ever change. God does not love us because we are good. He loves us because he is good. And God's love is a protective shield that will hold us now into eternity. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you will always have Jesus. And when you always have Jesus, you have everything. There was a very, 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 very wealthy man. Had tons of riches, tons of possessions. And he lost his son when his son was at an early age. And the pain just devastated him the rest of his days. And every possession he got tried to fill a hole, but it didn't work. And he eventually died. And his estate was put up for auction. And people came in from all over the United States, far, far away, states away to take part in this auction because he was a very, very wealthy man and he had lots and lots of possessions. 
And so the auction took place. And the very first thing that was brought to be placed on auction was kind of a tattered picture of his son. And the auctioneer said, I'm going to start the bidding. And it's kind of a worn-out picture. It didn't have a frame. It just kind of sat there. And, but it was the picture that the man would look at all the time of his son. And he said, I'll start the bidding at 50 bucks. Nothing. All right, do I hear 25? Nothing. The people there for the auction weren't there for a picture. So he said, well, how about $10? Do I have $10? And finally, someone who probably said, let's just get this thing going, said, yeah, I'll give $10. And he said, $10 going once, going twice. And he cracked the gavel, said, sold to this person. And then he announced that the auction's over. Because the decision of the rich man in his will was whoever gets the picture of his son gets the entire estate. It's all the possessions. When you have Jesus, you have everything you need in this life and the life to come for eternity. You have every spiritual blessing, it says in Ephesians, when you have Christ. And nothing and no one could pull that away And when you have Jesus, you have hope. That gives us hope to live out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and anything that faces us in this life. I'm diving in and learning a ton about true hope in the Bible. And I'll be honest with you, my concern is as your pastor and my teaching up to this point, I only told you part of the story. And so I appreciate your patience with me as I grow. We talk a lot about the future hope, and yes, we have a future hope, and one day when we stand before Jesus, there'll be no more sin, no more suffering. All the things that pull us down in this life will be gone forever, and that is true, but that's only part of the story. You see, biblical hope is not one day it'll be okay. That's not biblical hope. That's just part of the story. The other part of the story, true biblical hope, is you can take the reality of that promise that one day sin, suffering, and all the things that plague us be gone forever as we're in the presence of God. You can take that future hope and harness it and bring it into your life today. And that future hope can empower you in this reality to face anything you face It's a hope that's active today, though we look for it and we'll experience it fully tomorrow. It's a hope. That's biblical hope. You can experience it today. And the person who wrote this letter, Paul, he lived that. That's why he can go and get whipped, beaten, stoned, and be an inch of his life thrown into a jail and shackles and begin to sing hymns and songs to God. That wasn't like a fake, I know I'm supposed to do this, I'm going to go. That was real. It poured out of him because he lived that hope. And because of Christ, that promise is given now to us in the here and now. Who condemns you? What stands against you? 
What charge is someone going to bring when that's your reality? So as I wrap this up, I just want to do so by asking you, what has stolen your hope? What stole hope away from you? What's stealing your hope right now? Name it in your head. Is it a work situation? Is it a financial situation? Is it a physical illness, a mental illness? Is it a loss? Is it an addiction? Is it a habitual sin you can't seem to shake? What's stolen your hope? Here's what I'm going to invite us all to do. We're going to take that thing that's stolen our hope, and I encourage us to write it somewhere where you'll see it this week. Sum it up in a couple words. Put it in your phone in a note. Write it on a three-by-five card that you're going to carry in your pocket this week. Write it in your, a journal or a notebook. Name what has stolen your hope, and then I want you to keep these verses we just read really, really close. After you write that, you write down Romans 8.37, either in the note in your phone or the 3 by 5 card or in your journal, and you write, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep these verses close this week. Let's keep them close. Card, note in our phone, somewhere, but stay close to these verses this week. When we have Jesus, which as followers of Jesus we do, we have everything. And it will never, ever, ever be taken away.